Hello, friends, and welcome to a bonus episode of The Analytical Wavelength. Yes, we are hard at work putting together season two, which we're very excited about. We have a lot of great guests lined up and already on track to release in early March. In the meantime, we wanted to share a recording of a webinar that we did last year. Vijay Belusi, Pankaj Agarwal, and David Foley from Pfizer presented on creating a scientific information library using the ACD Spectrus platform. Yes, I was listening to this recently, and I thought it would work really well as a podcast. It's a very interesting conversation with the complexities of data management and a large research organization. We hope you enjoy, and we look forward to sharing our new content soon. Uh, my name is Vijay. I head uh, data and digital innovation strategy for PharmSci, or the Pharmaceutical Sciences Group in uh, Worldwide R&D in Pfizer. For today's presentation, um, this is how we have structured the, the talk. Um, I'll cover some background and context in terms of uh, the challenges we had with uh, data management, scientific data management in particular, um, or the strategy and vision that we established about five or six years back now, uh, trying to get our hands around our data and solve those challenges that we were facing. Uh, we'll introduce, I'll introduce the concept of um, the scientific, uh, scientific information library. And uh, my colleagues, Dave and Pankaj, are going to build on that concept and explain specifically how we are generating or creating this library of scientific information where, you know, we're adding section by section uh, each and uh, multiple kinds of data sets to the library. Uh, Pankaj will end by sort of talking a little bit about the, the future state or the um, road ahead for the library and what else we have in our plans. Okay, so starting with business challenges, so about five or six years back, we started thinking about data management in the uh, scientific disciplines a little bit more intensely. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, we were trying to sort of solve challenges, not at an individual level, but more of an, at an enterprise or organization level. You know, the Gartner actually coined this term called dark data. And um, what the term's definition is, is um, it's data that exists in large enterprises, but it's hard to find uh, because you as a, as a user who's trying to find the data may or may not be aware that data, first of all, exists. Um, two, you may or may not know where it exists. Two, uh, three, um, you may or may not have access to uh, those systems, those data um, repositories and what have you. And um, lastly, even if you get access to the system, maybe you don't even um, know or have the training on how to use the system. So there's a lot of challenges around in, in large enterprises, especially about how do you go about finding data um, that may be relevant to the work that you're doing, but you don't know where or and, and if that data even exists. So what do we do in these situations? We resort to what we um, lovingly known as, uh, know as sneaker net, right? Or, you know, call a friend. Um, so basically, you'll pick up the phone or, you know, in the digital era, maybe send an email or a Teams message, what have you, and basically ask your colleague who may, you, you, who you think may have better access to that data or information before you can actually access it or analyze it. So we had the same um, issues uh, and challenges when it comes to finding data. Um, and so we had the dark data challenge. We also saw that the trend was changing. So over the years, historically, you know, we all grew 
by implementing, you know, electronic systems, uh, you know, your chromatography data management systems or your lab notebook systems or your limb systems. And, and the primary purpose of implementation of these electronic repositories was so that you could actually manage your data better, right? Uh, about five or six years back, we started sort of seeing um, the trend was changing a lot more uh, towards, I want to actually analyze my data. I don't even care or need to be concerned about how the data is being managed or where it's being managed, right? So from a user perspective of data, we were seeing that people were trying to sort of get away from, you know, the, the manual, the redundant, the, the uh, burden of managing data, you know, tagging your data, metadata management, you know, those things. And uh, they were trying to get more into, you know, give me this data so I can analyze it and actually uh, gain new insights. So, so we had this uh, chasm that we were trying to cross and um, our systems and data repositories weren't adequately sort of uh, capable of supporting that transition. The other thing we, we uh, realized um, was, you know, in a typical large life sciences, biotech, pharmaceutical company, you know, there's uh, largely speaking uh, the product flow that moves products go through research and then they go to development and then, you know, eventually get transitioned into commercial uh, manufacturing. And, you know, at e in each of these sort of three towers, if you may, there's a lot of data slash models um, that we generate to support the progression of that product through the life cycle. Now, I would, I would say that we were probably also seeing some sort of information flow uh, along with the product flow going from research through development to commercial manufacturing, although there were a lot of gaps and it was not automated. What was truly missing was the feedback loop. Um, a lot of times we could design the next product much better or learn more about what kind of late stage issues uh, we ran into on the last product that went through this life cycle, you know, if we could actually only get access to the data from commercial manufacturing or late stage development back into research. So, so the feedback loop or the off information flow wasn't uh, quite automated or robust enough. One more challenge was there was a lot of sort of focus on the quality of data because it's not just enough to store data and make it accessible. We also want to make sure that the data when, you know, if I generate some data and my colleague uh, finds it, you know, six months later or six years later, um, the context around how the data was collected and captured and, and, and uh, created needs also to be clear enough. And so um, if you recall, there's, uh, there was a, uh, a landmark paper um, that sort of introduced the principles of FAIR. And so we wanted to make sure that we build a system. Um, we called it Scientific Data Cloud, which I'll talk about uh, next, uh, was compliant with the FAIR principles, right? So we wanted to make sure that we solve these challenges using the FAIR principles uh, and keeping the FAIR principles at the back of our mind. And, and lastly, you know, why now? So about five, six years back, we started thinking about these challenges, like I said, but what, what was driving us towards that? So, you know, data integrity, uh, if you remember, was uh, increasingly becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Regulatory agencies were asking for original raw data files. 
um, and not just uh, the final results. Quality, uh, they said, was of concern if data could not be found quickly during inspections. Um, speed, right? So in order to support simultaneous acceleration of multiple products through the pipeline, uh, we had to eliminate redundant tasks such as data management from our scientists' sort of workflow. And uh, the belief was also that rapid access to high quality data would enable also the increased use of in silico predictive models and tools as well. Um, so, so that was also another sort of driving factor for us to start solving these challenges. And lastly, you know, new insights were needed to advance the portfolio. You know, the expectation was if you could actually start collecting data from multiple techniques and make that accessible from one interface, one system, what have you, then um, new insights uh, could be gleaned from all this historical data that we had access to, but it was hard to sort of get connected to. So what was our strategy and vision? So our current state was sort of like this. So we put this picture together to explain our strategy vision. So this is a current state picture. So largely what this represents is the scientific data lifecycle, going from capturing the data to the use of the data to the reuse, and finally the in silico world where you predict data based on all this information. And you'll notice one key thing, the data flow is largely manual and happens through you know, people exchanging files or through um, sharing documents with each other. So we set about um, explaining our vision, and this is the sort of analogy, if you may be used. Um, we started asking people, stakeholders, sponsors, so when was the last time you ever took a picture or a video on your smartphone, right, and then had to name the file, organize your folders in which you were, were to put that picture or video, and by the way, remember that information forever, because pretty much that's how um, data management was happening, right? So individual scientists had to sort of remember where they were putting and saving their information. Back then, uh, in this day and age, you know, we argued that there has to be a better way of scientific data management, right? So so what we set, up, set out to build was uh, what we call as scientific data cloud, it's a GXP compliant storage and analytics system for heterogeneous data types, not just one data type, but multiple different kinds of data types. And as you know, that's one of the challenges that we have in this space. We have instrumentation from so many different vendors, each with its own formats and data types. So we wanted to make sure that the system supports heterogeneous data types. And um, obviously leveraging big data and cloud computing technologies um, with the intent of solving those three sort of challenges that I talked about earlier, data integrity, speed, and new insights. And this is basically how uh, we articulated the move from the current state to future state, right? So you, you remember this slide previously had a lot of manual sort of exchanges of information across the, the four quadrants. Um, and with the future state vision, we said, what if we could have just like the uh, picture video analogy of saving everything to the cloud, what if we could actually automatically sweep data from our instrumentation and equipment to the cloud? Um, that data is then made available to multiple systems and reports in the, in the way that those systems need it. Visualization and analysis tools are configured to pull data from the cloud automatically. And lastly, but not least, the in silico world can also sort of interact with the cloud 
um, you know, to to bring data to them for building better models and also saving the output from those tools back to the cloud. Uh, last section of my talk, uh, I'll introduce the concept of the scientific information library. So using the scientific data cloud strategy, what we are starting to build now is specifically for scientific information, what we think is going to be become going to become a library of sorts where there'll be different sections. Um, each section will have its own sort of type of data. Um, but as a user, you can literally go to the library, visit each section for the same product maybe, and sort of check in, check out the information that you care about. Um, so the benefits of this approach are we have an organized centralized library for all scientific information. Uh, you don't have to remember who generated or who worked on that experiment or who ran that sample, what have you. You can check in, check out uh, your data, uh, and that's one way we can ensure data integrity. But at the same time, we want to provide the ability to add notes and annotations on raw data and maybe even some process data in the future or final results where you know you get the con you get the numbers you get the final results you get the raw data but you also get the context and the annotations from the users who have either created the data or have looked at it in the past structure searchability for work in the small molecule space especially is uh, really important so we can use tools like ACD Labs uh, to act to to build the library and store the library, and then also search the library. And uh, those are those are some features that we leverage from ACD Labs uh, products. And then facile search across uh, information that was generated across multiple sites, multiple groups, instruments, or processing techniques. Um, you can actually make all that available in a sort of like a agnostic way, so that you don't have to know how to search for data from one section to the other section. It's all sort of uh, hidden. The complexity is hidden for you as an end user. So with that, I'll pass it on to my colleague, Dave Foley, who's going to explain the structural illustration section of this library uh, specifically in more detail. So Dave, over to you. So yeah, so thanks, Vijay, for you know outlining the strategy and giving folks a picture of where we're, where we're trying to go. Uh, with data advisor. So I'm going to talk about one particular uh, section in this library, and that's around structural elucidation data. So typically NMR and mass spec data of compounds that we characterize. Um, so just to talk a bit about the structural elucidation group, which we call uh, SEG. Um, so, you know, our group, uh, we determine chemical structures, typically of small molecules using NMR and mass spec. We are pretty much global partners at Pfizer in the identification of small and large organic molecules. So we um, interact with folks all the way from uh, compounds once they leave uh, discovery, uh, all the way through development into manufacturing and, and, and beyond. And so, you know, we see samples from uh, research sites, from manufacturing sites all over the world. So we do structure ID of the active pharmaceutical ingredients synthetic intermediates process related impurities degradants and they could be they could come from uh, the actual api synthesis itself or from drug product um, stability um, and that type of, of, of sample set the group is made up of we have a purification function um, who do uh, large-scale prep chromatography and can you know, isolate uh, materials from kilogram to milligram uh, nmr and mass spec 
Um, the group is has two locations, one in Groton, Connecticut, uh, in the US, and the other in our sandwich site in the, in the UK. You're, we, in the group across the two, two sites, we have um, 11 NMR and mass spec scientists. And between us, we probably elucidate structures for over 600 compounds each year. Um, so really, you know, you can see here, right, we have a, the challenge of, of these two groups being uh, in very separate locations and also separate time zones. Um, and really, one of the things we're trying to do with this initiative is to, is to build a data bridge right between those groups so that we can readily access data between both sites. This was our, our, our pre-existing stage, right? So like Vijay um, outlined earlier, a lot of manual steps in this process. So uh, we have a SharePoint site where people submit their requests for structure ID. Um, you know, we then take that and we do the analysis, do the NMR, do the mass spec, uh, take that raw data. And then, you know, various folks in the group have different ways of, of analyzing their data, right? So some people, would use the native uh, um, instrument software, be it thermal, be it uh, broker, variant, et cetera. Um, some folks use third-party softwares to analyze data, and we also have folks who use old-school pen and paper, but it, it works for them, so, um, you know, that's good. Um, we would all, all of this would be documented in an ELN, and then we would, you know, output a structure that would go back to the, to the chemist or the analyst, the requester. So, you know, at the end, we have a hopefully a happy analyst or our chemist. They have their, their answer from us. Um, they, the SME is, is happy because they have basically the work done. But it's not all uh, rosy in the garden, right? So we're missing a, a, a couple of opportunities here uh, with this current workflow. A lot of this data is it's on people's laptops. It's on analytical instruments. It's in people's brains. Um, and so the, the value added data is very disparate. We, you know, we also have, you know, here we have multiple modes of data analysis, which doesn't facilitate coalescing all of this data together. One huge thing is we don't have any structure searching or uh, query or data mining features uh, built into this workflow. Um, and, you know, as we've mentioned multiple times, Sharing the data between individuals and sites is a, is a huge challenge, right? It, it is literally send an email, uh, make a phone call, and see if someone has access or has run uh, NMR or mass spec on a particular structure uh, before. And, you know, then that also lends itself to having to duplicate work, right? So oftentimes we would find that it would be easier to re-record the sample and go through the whole analysis again rather than trying to search across multiple systems, trying to find that original piece of raw data. Um, and also then, right, the, the multiple data formats in, um, across different instrument types is a challenge to, to bring all that data together. And so the goals of, of the, the new workflow that we have implemented this year is going to, or is allowing us to have cross-site uh, access and data sharing between both our Groton and Sandwich sites in the US and the UK. Really, what we're trying to do here is, is optimize our workflows, right? So that uh, we are, you know, everyone is, is super busy. You know, a lot of programs are being accelerated these days. So, you know, trying to make time and, 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 and find efficiencies is, is very important.
Um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the main goals is to eliminate the duplication of structure assignment work, right? That can be, it's, 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 you know, that literally is a waste of time. If we've done the work already, why should we be re-recording data? We do get a lot of queries from, you know, from agencies, from requesters looking for historical data. And what we want to also do is not only have all of this data that we're putting together available to the, the folks in the structural elucidation group, we want to share this data with everyone, right? So, um, and part of that is building a gold standard repository of subject matter expert curated stru and structurally assigned NMR and mass spec data. So if a chemist or an analyst is looking for, hey, I want to see the proton NMR spectra for this, um, for this Pfizer compound, they can quickly um, access that data and they have a, they have a, a, a gold standard robust uh, rubber stamped piece of data that they can compare with their own uh, experimental data. We obviously need any of these uh, this database to be fully structured with the exact substructure of similarity searchability. That was some fun uh, function that we did not have before, right? There was no structure attached to, to the uh, data. And as I mentioned earlier, we want to make it accessible to everyone. We want to combine all of the data formats from different vendors into one platform. And when we're building all of this, this these databases, databasing capabilities, one of the things we can also get is to improve NMR chemical shift prediction of Pfizer compounds. We went with the, the ACD Spectrus platform for a number of reasons. Um, you know, we can integrate the data from all of the various analytical techniques, not just NMR and mass spec, but as Pankajan will talk about later, there's, you know, the capability of bringing in multiple different uh, analytical data pieces. There was a familiarity amongst the side population with the ACD Labs uh, platform already, um, and we did have existing site licenses. So there was a couple of things that were already in place before we started this, this journey this year um, to facilitate the implementation. This NMR and MassSpec Spectrus database, what is it, right? So what it is, is it's NMR and MassSpec raw data imported, analyzed, and assigned in the ACD Spectrus NMR and MassSpec workbooks. So this work is conducted by our structural elucidation group scientists. Every structure that we assign and rubber stamp is entered into the database with uh, assigned NMR and mass spec data. We also, in the, the bottom left here, I get, took a snapshot of our request form, right? And this is what the requesters, uh, what the data that they input when they are looking for us to conduct some kind of analysis. Um, and so we want to be able to capture all of that metadata so that when we, you know, that we can also search across those fields. So one of the particular pieces that's important to, to us within the group is, is our seg number, which is a, a number we use to, to, to tag each, each piece of work. And that's important for us. But we're also capturing things like the, the Pfizer compound number, the ELN number, um, and different information about the project. And then we want to take all of this metadata, we want to take the analyzed NMR data and we want to take the analyzed mass spec data and put them into the database. Okay, so the first step of this in, in um, achieving this uh, goal was to do this in a, in, a, in a kind of a manual way. So, you know, we would do this in one se section, the NMR piece, the mass spec piece, and then we would have to enter all of this metadata manually. So you have you open up the possibility for transcription errors, et cetera, there, and that could cause problems in the long term. So the next phase of, of this journey was to automate a lot of this databasing workflow. Um, so our SharePoint site for the requester was still the, the, the initial starting point. 
So we didn't have to change anything that was interfacing with our customer base. They, it was still it was seamless to them. And so they make the seg submission. Uh, it comes to our group for analysis. And then what we're doing is instead of keeping the data locally on the instruments, we're writing to a local staging area. Um, and we have one staging area in Broughton, one staging area in Sandwich, and that's just for, for rapid transfer of the data. Because at this point, when the data is in the staging area, we can still be writing new data, acquiring new data as we start to put together the pieces to come up with the structure. From there, we take the raw data. Uh, I, I should say also here that the raw data is also automatically converted to Spectre's format in the staging area, and there's also uh, a log file associated with that. So we have like an audit trail of what's happened to the data. Uh, from there, we can interact directly with that, that data. We can take that process file, slim it down to the pieces of information that we would need for to come up with the structure. Um, and at that point, we have multiple options, right? So, and all of these options can be triggered from within the, the ACD Spectrus platform. Once we're done with, with uh, we've, assi we've assigned a structure, we want, we're done with, with the data analysis, we can hit the trigger from within the um, ACD software and a number of things will happen. So the raw data file will go to the scientific data cloud. Um, it will be zipped if, if it's a folder structure, if it's a, if it's a native uh, single file, flat file, it can be taken directly. And then that data is, is stored in the S3 bucket on the scientific data cloud. The process data itself, we want that to go to the, to the uh, database. So that can happen from within the trigger also. And then finally, if we have NMR data that has been fully assigned, that goes into our NMR training database, and, and I'll explain what happens with that in the next uh, in the next slide. Once this data is in the database, it's now accessible by all, right? So it can be anyone who's got the ACD Labs workbook client at Pfizer can now access the data, search across that data, and so that's a very powerful tool, not just for us within the structural station group, but for all uh, the project uh, analysts and chemists at Pfizer talk a bit about the chemical shift prediction. So anyone who has the ACD platform will, will be aware that there is a, a native NMR training database, or database for chemical shift prediction within the ACD platform. And really what we're trying to do is to hone that uh, data set down by introducing Pfizer-specific you know, Pfizer compounds that have their uh, chemical shifts um, associated with them. And so, you know, as I said earlier, from the trigger mechanism, the uh, assigned NMR data can go into the training database. Uh, we can tweak that as the SMEs if, if needed, to, if needed, and that all happens through a synchronization server. So again, it, it's seamless. And then also the, the end user can, when they want to do chemical shift prediction, this database is constantly updating and it's all seamless to them. So they just go into the system open it up, um, input their structure, do their prediction. And you know, to them, they don't, they don't know that in the background, we're doing all this work to make the chemical shift more robust for them. And then also you can think about using that in, in a kind of an automatic structure verification system where you can start to give users a score where they look at their, their NMR data, they look at their structure, and the software can give them a confidence score in uh, whether that NMR spectrum is consistent with the structure or not. 
you know, what we've achieved here is we now have global access to structural elucidation data. So from an SME perspective, both our UK and US sites can readily access each other's data. That's becoming more and more of a, of a win for us because of the way the nature of the development project, how development projects are, are being run at Pfizer. Oftentimes, maybe they, they'll be in early stage development in the US and then move to our, our UK site for, for late stage development and vice versa. And so, you know, that seamless transfer of data between both sites is, is becoming more and more important. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're getting increased efficiencies from this. Duplication of work, time spent searching for information is reducing way down. So, you know, that's a win for, for the group. Um, we are able to use this tool to, to track projects. So, you know, look at where things are, are, are along our workflow. Um, and as I said, we're now into the stage where we're doing this in an automated fashion. There are wins for, for all users at Pfizer. So we have now have a gold standard database of NMR and mass spectra, fully searchable. So it can be searched by EF number, which is the Pfizer compound number, uh, structure and substructure uh, searchable, but also uh, folks can do spectral matches, right? So they can input NMR or mass, spec, mass spectra and do say, hey, is there a, a is there a spectrum or a compound in the database that matches closely to this NMR spectrum? Uh, and then Pankaj will touch on this in the, in the next section, but um, we're also trying to make all of this data um, presentable in a very useful way to project teams. And one of the ways we're thinking about doing that is through uh, Luminata, which is another ACT tool. Um, and that organizes data by reaction schemes or process schemes. But I, I, I will let Pankaj talk about that more in the next section. So with that, I will hand over to Pankaj, and he is going to talk about the uh, chromatography section of the library. Great. Thanks, Dave, for that introduction. As you guys just heard from uh, Vijay and Dave, uh, that we are building up these sectional libraries, and Dave talked about the NMR structural elucidation library. That's what you try to call it at Pfizer. The chromatography is another library that we are building. And the level of complexity just increases, I say, 100 folds because we have LC is the bread and butter of pharmaceutical drug development. We have 200 to 300 scientists collecting thousands of LC chromatogram at different pharmaceutical sites. And we want to have that data available at a central location. So the pre-library state, uh, what we had was uh, we have, as, as Dave referred to, we have two different sites and the data is collecting at both the sites, being collected at both the sites. We are trying to make this data out, get this data out of Empower so that we can do, eliminate these data silos in, in, in any CDS systems right now. There is no structure searchability. There is no structure, uh, search that you, an analyst can do. So what we did was, to identify, uh, to overcome these four challenges that there are individual data silos and there's no structure uh, searchability. There are multiple modes and formats that the data can be analyzed. And there are, we were noticing the same things. There were duplication of method development efforts. So in an order to overcome these hurdles, the first thing which Dave referred to was to generate a workflow. Uh, so we went through that workflow as a proof of concept uh, by a manual workflow where 
the data collected at one site is collected in empower is being converted into a spectrus format the processed result has peak names we will manually assign the structure of that peak to that chromatogram and put it in the spectrus database the process was repeated at both the sites and then we still have one issue we have two individual databases at both the sites then again the users have to connect with each other across different databases we were able to solve three problems we were able to connect data to structures to the chromatography data but we still have individual databases so to address that problem we worked with acd labs and so the process here is the chromatogram irrespective of which site it is being collected at is collected in empower processed and saved as a result in empower converted into spectrus format picked up by the automation server it reads the peak names that have been labeled in those chromatograms it reaches out to the pfizer structure database it brings out that structure attaches it to the chromatogram and store it in one central location which is scientific data cloud that we referred to now once the data is in one central place we have the structures also we have the chromatograms also and all the metadata uh, the and scientists irrespective they are subject matter experts or a regular project analyst working in the project labs they if they have acd lab clients they can access that data from one central location so by implementing this library approach and these automating the manual processes we were able to uh, reduce a lot of manual steps also all this complexity is happening in the background user uh, doesn't have to deal with all these conversions or integrations so the tools and the benefits uh, first is we were trying to do databasing and if i want to database every chromatogram that is being collected by each analyst at each site it's a significant piece of effort if that's a manual process so by implementing scientific data cloud and the automation server we have fully automated that manual process and then since the data is now available at one central location we should be able to do data visualization interfaces that we have been actively working on and these are the three tools that i will showcase in the subsequent slides where we can we have shown the applications that we can use this data for data trending structure enabled search and across technique analytical data interface so now we have the data in one central location and you are hearing this word structure enabled searching we are analytical chemists and in farm in small molecules area it is really important to know the structure of my api impurities and everything is based on the structure so the first thing that we have done is if you have the data if i am trying to develop a method for a new impurity has this impurity been seen in the past or if i'm trying to develop a chiral method does there a chiral method already exist it might have been developed as we just said the project moves from research to development to manufacturing and if i'm in the development area the chiral method might have already been developed in the research environment can i just draw that structure and see if there is a pre-existing method that i can use instead of developing a new chiral method there are uh, ways where our smes can focus more on structure prediction data where now the data is in one central location uh, my chemometric scientists can look at that data and do some qsr approaches where 
uh, they can predict the retention times based on the structure of the compound. And the important thing is they don't have to work in getting the data ready in the format that they will need to do that actual work. Previous to this library format, and a subject matter expert will spend one day just in getting the data in the right format to do actually that QSAR approach. But now the data is readily available and that all the effort the subject matter expert can focus on predicting the retention times. And the other application is the data trending. So we uh, like to do our control charts on our how my LC method is performing once I have developed it. And it is becoming really important with new uh, method lifecycle suggestions coming from regulatory agencies and ICH. So one of the uh, challenges that uh, we have seen that really good application of this tool is the project team was working on a project where the challenge was that we were seeing some chelation. And if I am an LC method developer, I know certain compounds which have aldehyde-like structures or certain structures which are prone to chelation. So to avoid those issues, what we could do is we were able to draw that structure within ACD lab Spectrus DB, search the database, all the liquid chromatography data that has been collected across Pfizer from January 20th of this year. And we were able to get hits that yes, similar structures have been seen and chromatographed. And it provided us a situation where, okay, these were the chromatographic conditions used and you might want to use these type of modifiers to avoid these chelation issues. Uh, what you see on the screen is you have the structures that were similar. You have the chromatogram, the UV spectra, and mesh spectra, all the chromatographic conditions. So I don't need to go into ELN or call my friend and ask for those method conditions or ask for the method conditions from LIMS. I have it readily available here. I can right now go and try to repeat this method in the lab. So the solutions and benefits, this is just one example, right? We are able to do the structure enable search. We can do similar searches on peak names, chromatographic conditions. What we were able to do is by connecting these individual data bases and getting the data in one central location, we were able to allow that data to be available to the general user and they can use it for numerous different aspects. The second application that I was talking about is the system suitability control chart. What we have been able to do is now all my data is in one location. We are able to build a user interface and this user interface allows you to filter the data. We have chosen specific terms across which made more sense that how can I filter my data down to the project that I'm interested in. So Dave was referring to the PF numbers. So we know the PF number of the compound that I'm interested in. So I can filter all my data in one shot by entering the PF numbers and subsequent filters can be applied. After applying all such filters, what I'm seeing here is the retention time uh, across all the samples that have been run for that particular PF number, my plate count, peak tailing, signal to noise, and peak area. The retention time is consistent across all the samples. But the plate count and the peak tailing, we have a distinct split. So there is something that is causing this difference between the performance of my method. So what we have done is we have done 
selective filtration around my metadata. My metadata for a method would be which instrument was it being run on? What is the column name? What what column serial number or where which lab was it run on? So I can do this coloring and what I'm showing here is in this case, the difference between the peak tailing and the plate count is coming because there are two different types of instruments that were used. Now, if I would have to investigate this issue without having this interface available, it would take significant amount of time and I would have to go across multiple systems like ELN, LIMS, Empower, assemble all the data into one Excel file and then plot it. So we were able to do all that process by applying just these seven filters, what you see here. Um, what is our vision? Is a cross-technique analytical data library. So you have already seen examples today from chromatography and structure elucidation. And these are really good for subject matter experts because we are building that uh, technique-specific databases. We also have a third database that is being built up, which is around the degradation profiles of all these compounds. Now, what happens is if I'm a project analyst, I need to correlate the data from all these individual techniques. And I need to make sure that my project progressing as it is supposed to, and I'm not missing anything. So in, in order to automate this process, I would have done, assemble all this information. I would have done it in Excel or Word format or any other Microsoft application or my PPT slides. But here, our vision is that if I am a project analyst on project number two and I have a PF number and I enter that, all these individual technical databases will be interlinked and through this one interface, I will be able to see all these data. Also, if I am interested in seeing a specific aspect of that project, I will have different view forms. If I am interested in seeing all the different chromatography methods that are being implemented for different steps of that project or different aspects of those project, like assay purity or chiral methods, uh, I should be able to see that within that single screen. And then I should be able to do batch trending. Are there any process schemes? What is my impurity profile with different batches? What is my degradation pathway for API? And if I'm a drug product analyst, I'm interested in seeing what are my interactions of API with the excipient. Also, within this interface, I want to see what would be the impurities that were seen in the API pathway are also visible in the drug product pathway. To have all this readily available, uh, ACD, we are exploring ACD Labs interface Luminata. Now, what you see on the screen is, if I am an API analyst, I draw this reaction scheme. I have three different methods, one for stage two, one for stage three, and one for final assay purity method. I can upload all those chromatography methods and I don't need to upload it. I can just enter this PF numbers and connect these interface to the background chromatography database. And all these chromatography information will be available here. And if there is a mass spec associated with that chromatography, that will be seen a UV spectra. Now, if I have, ident I'm a project analyst, I identify, I want to do impurity identification, then I reach out to site group, the workflow that Dave Foley just explained. I submit that request and Dave's group does that work, upload it into the database. As soon as they trigger, 
the data into the Spectrus DB uh, STC data library, this NMR signal automatically gets updated. So we are able to the the work for the project analyst is really reduced because they don't have to do all the manual data connections. In addition, uh, I have uh, one of my team member working on the degradation pathway and they uh, did a degradation under acidic conditions. And this is what they observed that these are the degradants. And similarly, they have done some other degradations, basic conditions are in the presence of metals. And some of those impurities that I see under acidic conditions were also related, seen as a process related impurities. So I can do that kind of correlation through these process maps. Also, I can see that which peak is present at which stages of my process scheme. And you can also, if you have the chromatograms attached under different degradation conditions, you can see which peaks were present at what area percent. So that can help us to do the impurity trending that we were talking about. These are just three libraries that we have built. We are we are in the process of building chromatography, uh, mass spec structural elucidation, chromatography, structural elucidation, and degradation. Uh, the vision is to bring in the dissolution data, excipients database, all the material characterization data, and the spectroscopy data. So the interface that I showed you just in the last slide where you were only seeing LC, MS, NMR, and UV, you will be able to see even the dissolution and the material characterization data. It always takes a team to get this efforts. In addition to the speakers on this webinar, there were a lot of other team members that were involved uh, in getting this work done at Pfizer from PharmSci chemistry department in addition IT and business. Uh, also, uh, thanks to all the folks from ACD Labs that we worked on, worked with on this project.